0: Welcome, everyone, to JCB Art Studio Season 4. My name is Joanna, and I am the author of... <laughs> You'd think I'd remember <laughs> The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. It's because I've been having my head in The Hague um, researching Book 4. And uh, so, yeah, I just had to kind of get myself balanced. I'm back in, in Victoria in BC. Okay. Today... I have literary author Tannis Wrightout with me. Now, Tannis Riteout's internationally acclaimed first novel, above all things, was a national bestseller. It was named to numerous best books of the year lists and published in several languages around the world. It was awarded the, and I'm going to try to do my best Italian that I can here, it was awarded the Primo Itas del Libro di Montagna and was long-listed for the International Impact Dublin Literary Award. Wow. Her novel, which we are going to talk about, her new novel, is The Sea Between Two Shores. It has an absolutely, it's a beautiful cover for a beautiful novel. She is also the author of the Poetry Collection, Arguments with the Lake. And in 2006, she was named the Poet Laureate for Lake Ontario by the Environmental Advocacy Group, Lake Ontario Waterkeeper. Born in Belgium, Tannis grew up in Bermuda and in Kingston, Ontario, and now lives in Los Angeles. Tannis, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. This is so exciting. Excellent. (laughs) Okay. Now, The Sea Between Two Shores, it is an impactful book. It's beautifully designed, uh, fitting for, uh, I would say, a beautifully crafted novel. And... Before I ask you, uh, you know, a couple of the standard questions of what the book is about, mm-hmm. there is truth to this story. And I just wanted to ask you, there really was a Canadian mission that went to the island of Vanuatu? Yeah,
1: So uh, it wouldn't have necessarily been called a Canadian mission at the time, but there were definitely a number of... Uh, missionaries clergy people who went from particularly from like Nova Scotia like the Maritimes to um numerous places in in Oceania but uh, Vanuatu is then called the New Hebrides um but a number of them there and I was just I was so struck by that connection when I first learned about it that um you know we read obviously about sort of the colonization of Canada and, and that particular narrative but then to have this idea of of Canadians then going elsewhere and colonizing in the world too. It hadn't, wasn't something that I thought about my family's from the Maritimes uh, as well. So it just sort of was this kind of immediate connection that really caught me these people from this very small, cold place in Canada going to this entirely different uh, place, almost on the other side of the world.
0: I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. No No idea at all. Okay. So the sea between two shores, can you tell, tell the listeners, a little bit about what it what it's about. I'm sorry, I'm I'm touching your book because it is no, so beautiful.
1: It is, <laughs> it is such a gorgeous cover. It is it is so striking. It's such a lovely thing to look at on the shelf. But um, uh, it's about two families, essentially, a family um, from a fictional island uh, in Vanuatu in Oceania, and a family from Toronto who are both going through their own quite intense personal tragedies. And they come together to reckon with and try and reconcile their collective pasts as well. Um, the ancestors of the Canadian family had gone to this island in the early 1800s um, on a, on a mission.
0: Okay. And I have to, I have, if you don't mind, I would love to read a paragraph from the sure. book. There were so many, so many <laughs> paragraphs. Um, so I, it's paragraph from page five. It's beautiful, and I would say even a little relevant for today's times as well. Okay, so we have our character Anne. Here we go. Okay, Anne flinches as the wind tears away a piece of plywood from the window outside. The world is bruised and wounded. The storm gathers the light to itself and makes a nightfall of the day. What little illumination is left has a yellow glow, unnatural and malevolent. Rain claws between the slats and mud oozes beneath the door. The entire building shakes. <sighs> God, that hits me. It hits me. Right. Oh, and when when I read about that, I read about the rain clawing and the mud oozing beneath the door. I could see, because they were in a cyclone. And yeah. it, it, did you see, I saw how you wrote it, the cyclone as a monster. Is that what you were going for? I or?
1: think it's certainly part of it. I think a lot of sort of setting up the cyclone in particular was wanting to set sort of set up the tremendous pressure that um low-lying islands in the Pacific and low-lying areas around the world are facing from climate change. This was yeah. part of the conversation at the um at COP twenty-seven that just wrapped up in in Egypt. And um there were Um, I was reading an article this morning about Tuvalu uh, making a case for becoming uh, the first digital country because literally Tuvalu will disappear within 100 years. It is such a low-lying island um, islands that uh, there's no way it's going to survive climate change and they want to find a way to kind of hold on to their sovereign territory, which is not just the land but also the water around it. And um, also a place to continue with their heritage and their um their history and their arts and their culture and all of that. And so they're they're literally building an online version of this country. Um, And so thinking about, and certainly I've been living in California for the last number of years and here we have the wildfires, and I think you know, we're we're feeling like nature and the climate is far more monstrous yeah. than maybe certainly as I was growing up, or um, it certainly seems like it's it's catching up to us, and um it was just a, a dramatic way to kind of draw attention to this, to uh, like have a reader connect what's going on here and our consumption, our ongoing kind of colonization of these uh of these other places through our use of resources and fossil fuels and all of that um is still having effects on these places that we don't see necessarily and but they are destroying people's homes destroying people's lives killing people and um so yeah it's it's definitely a monstrous (laughs) thing and uh but wanting to connect it to that larger sense as well of um the, what what we're facing all across the world, but some people are pay, facing a much higher cost than others.
0: I had never heard of digital country. Th- yeah, I literally
1: going- <gasps> just read about that this morning. It's uh, there. It was an article. I think it was in the Guardian. And um, yeah, it's it's really it's, it's it's I mean it's horrible, but fascinating. Yes. It's just like yeah, it's it's a crazy thing to think about.
0: Well, our summer here. So I live on Vancouver Island, oh, yeah. and born and raised. And I remember summers being hot, but never what I have experienced these last two years. Right. And uh, there was one day, I I took the dogs outside, and it, it we have never experienced a last year temperatures that were like thirty nine degrees Celsius. Yeah never right and uh 33 degrees and it's not just a one off it's like okay you have 3 4 yeah. days yeah and i taken the dogs out and i just thought this is climate change this is now yeah. it's it's not yeah, this yeah we're in it yeah, it's not this airy-fairy, oh, it's coming, Ah, uh Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> right? and we're in, you know, in relatively stable places. I mean, here we have wildfires and we're in the midst yeah. of, you know, they've been calling it a drought for years and years and years and they're wanting to change the language of that and start using right. the language of that um, it's aridification because it is a changing of the climate. It isn't a drought anymore. The climate is changing and it's becoming a more arid area and it's a it's a daily thing here of like you know we have buckets in our shower to water the plants and all and all of that sort of stuff you know because it's and again we're still way luckier than so many other places because we have the resources and the infrastructure and all of that sort of thing so yeah it was one of the interesting things with this novel was um and also having you know i did travel to vanuatu once, which was sort of the inspiration for the book, but um, unless you know, you don't know. You don't know what the impacts are on on places like this, or an island in the you know middle of the Pacific or the middle of the Atlantic. And you know, we think about rising sea levels, but you don't think that these places will just like disappear someday. Yeah. But
0: um, we're certainly on that track. Wow! Wow! Now, in your book. You refer to Middle Grove people and the Hot Water people, who have cut down the trees and have built an unusual home. Can you explain the two people? Can you explain the Middle Grove people and the Hot Water people? <laughs> a,
1: a lot of um, a lot of the peoples in Vanuatu, even now, people are very much. Um, connected to place. I think a lot of Indigenous communities still are. They haven't been removed from their place. Um, and even um, so the present day uh, name for Vanuatu people is Ni Vanuatu, and it literally means people of the place. Oh, wow. And um, they're, so people are connected to, they come from, they literally come from this land, from this place. They are born out of the land. And um, so what we would tend to think of as like tribal names um, would often be like connected to that as well. So the hot water people live near a hot water beach, which is, I mean, there's beaches like this all over sort of the Pacific ring of fire where the, uh, the magma is so close to the surface, that you know, you sit on the beach and you dig yourself a little thing in the sand and the water heats up and you get this like natural hot tubs. Yeah, and uh, and the middle ground people are were these people who kind of live between the highlands and the lowlands, and that's like that's their connection and their and their space. So, trying to situate people in a sense of yeah of where they belong, where they are from, how how they interact with and understand the world.
0: Cool. Okay. Okay. Now the characters, the characters in this novel, there are so many, and you do this so well, individual voices. Okay. Um, Anne, David, I'm just going to name a few of the characters. Anne, David, Michelle, Astrid, Zach. And there is absolutely no confusion as to who's talking. Um, when we are in Zach's point of view, I, the reader, I could feel his hurt and there's a scene where he's staring at the back of his mom's head. And he just, he says, he just wants his mom to look at him. And I, as a mother, I'm thinking, because his mom's name is Michelle, I'm thinking, Michelle, turn around and look at your son, okay? <laughs> like, you, like, you you really hit emotions, okay? So, I was wondering about how did you approach writing the individual voices? Um, did you know from the outset that you're going to have a certain number of characters and write from different point of views or you're kind of shaking your head or yeah, did you just yeah. start out in one point of view and as the story yeah. progressed I uh I'm not much of a
1: planner when I when I write this the first draft of this came really quite quickly as well and um uh I suspect fact, there were multiple points of view right from the beginning. There, there certainly were because there was the historical section and, and the contemporary section. But the historical section initially was entirely told in letters and diaries from Josephine's point of view, and so that changed over the course of uh, writing, and eventually comes to be told from Fina's point of view. From so from this teenage, or young teenage girl, um, on the island, uh, and then the contemporary storyline i think early on it was told almost entirely from the stewarts the toronto family's points of view um and there were more characters there were like she and michelle had a brother that went with them as well and there's like there's a there and i don't think um the dad had any chapters originally and then just sort of as we kind of went through it as i went through with like uh some some first readers and then with my editor of like seeing who really wanted to carry the story whose whose voices needed to be heard when how they kind of like fought against each other and it changed fairly like really right up until the end I think the last uh voice that got added was Jacob has one chapter at the very end he's the um older son of the Vanuatu family and um until quite late in the process, he hadn't had a chapter at all. And after reading some things and watching some things, I sort of realized, like, oh, we needed to like kind of pass the torch today, David. Okay. we needed to have him kind of like be moving the story forward. And um, I think over the course of the novel, it goes more from like the parents' points of views to being handed to like the younger generation as well. So, but yeah, I was trying to figure out like well whose story, who's telling which part of the story. Why? What does that do that it doesn't do for something else? So sometimes a scene would be given to one character and they'd be like, oh, no, no, it's better if we give it to this character over here. And um, it just, I, I i write a lot. I throw out a lot. Um, it just, it, for me, it's a lot of trial and error to figure out who, yeah, whose story it is when.
0: It's not an efficient way to write, but <laughs> I pants. Oh, okay. If I'm going to use that awful term, there's got to be something different. Okay, I don't plot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't plot. Yeah. And I'm just thinking now. I am so glad you didn't do the diary entries because it's it's so impactful hearing mm-hmm. Josephine's, the Venatu families, their stories. Yeah. So impactful, right? Okay, now Faina. Can we can we talk about her? Okay. Yeah. Now, in the beginning, she takes eel meat to the missionaries. She witnesses the missionaries praying, and she regards the man as a sorcerer. Now, from the beginning, she's trying to communicate and write and record the missus. How did gaining that knowledge of writing and recording change Faina? And her people. And is there evidence today. Of how that knowledge. Evolved on the island.
1: Yeah I certainly wouldn't want to. Kind of pretend to be an expert on. Nivan history. And sort of that. I think there's a lot of. um, White folks who would like to take credit for yeah. um I'm air quoting credit I yeah. don't know this it'll have is only a podcast so not video but um for you know bringing the written word or, or what have you and like there are, I think probably lots of bonuses and lots of um potential losses there I mean it's you know as you know most things start out as as oral traditions and there's a real yeah. value to that and like how stories get told and when stories get told and, and those kinds of things so I think that there was definitely that would have had a had an impact on the place but for for Fina in particular yeah. um you know Fina a young girl and not someone with a lot of power yeah. at the beginning of the of the um novel and um and I was thinking about too like which people are likely to um, want to sort of learn from um, you know, potentially a, not that they recognize them as a colonizing force at the beginning, but like, what's the draw to this? And so for for Fina, her, I think, natural ability with languages, um, it's kind of, it it suddenly gives her power. It's suddenly something she can do that, yes, other people are learning English as well. And the missionaries learn a little bit of of the local language, but, um, but it's a, it's, it's a power for her. Knowledge becomes this way of empowering herself and, and kind of establishing a place in her society that is, different than it would have been without this. And again, I think there are pluses and minuses to that. But um, for her, it's it's a bit of a door opening at at a point in time. And um, she, you know, seizes that opportunity and decides that that is what she wants to do. She wants this power. She wants that knowledge um, in a system in which uh, knowledge is quite regimented who gets what knowledge and she would be fairly down the the, the list yeah. on that so yeah. um and uh yeah I was talking to a girlfriend while I was writing it and was like I don't know maybe she's a bit of anachronistic character you know she's like this kind of spunky teenage girl and uh, my girlfriend was like there's there's always been spunky teenage girls yeah and I was like okay yeah. I'll take that so yeah. um yeah so she's curious and spunky and and Want things,
0: yeah. Well, just even last night, I I was reading, but kind of sixty minutes was playing in the background. And not that I watched sixty minutes, but the last story was about a the man who invented voicemail, and I I can't remember his name. He went to a country in Africa, and all the animals that were extinct. he helped bring um it's almost like two by two animals into this country to build up their population again. And in there he said it's at this park and the the girls at 13, they would traditionally be married off at 13, you know, so what he's doing is they are um, they' they're, they brought in school teachers and they're giving them education. Mm-hmm. And these young women, these 13 year old young women young girls are now looking. they never knew they had a future and they're now thinking nurse, veterinarian, park ranger and it's just it's oh, it's fantastic, right fantastic. Now, Zach, He's doing now. Zach is Michelle's son. And Michelle and their family has suffered a tragedy. Now I thought Zach was doing the same thing as Fina. I had pronounced incorrectly pronounced her name earlier. And Zach is recording what he's seeing on the island through his mm-hmm. cell phone. And I was just wondering like, so what does this teach us? And now that I'm thinking about our digital countries, gosh, what does this teach us about whose stories get recorded and how they're recorded?
1: Yeah, I hope that um, because, yeah, it was very intentional to sort of have Zach um, kind of recording things. It's how he processes the world. But also now he comes to this place and has this technology that is not as available to people there and everybody Vanuatu has cell phones everywhere but they are mostly still flip phones or certainly when I was there uh five years ago but um you know to have this these things in our pockets that we can just record everything and then to you know like which is great and we make those choices for ourselves in our own lives they even think about like parents making choices for like pictures of their kids online or what have you, I don't have kids, so I'm not going to weigh in on that that question, but like, and like who gets what images. And there's a moment in the book where Zach is uh, recording um, his little sister and Anai, who's the uh, little girl on the island as, as well, and they're playing together and he's recording them. And um, Anai's mother is watching and is kind of processing that that here is this te- this teenage boy who's recording her little girl and he's going to take those images a- a- away and he's going to have them, but she's not. And she's torn about that because she loves the idea that there's this image of her little little girl that exists but how come this person gets to have it and not her um which is something that changes towards the end of the book but um and it's just like thinking about that while while I traveled in in Vanuatu and um you know trying to be cognizant as a traveler of what it is that you're taking away in that in that way and what does that mean for? people who might not have the same kind of access to those images. And um, yeah, I don't have an an answer about that, but it's just something that I'm trying to become more cognizant of out in the world. And I I like, I am a reporter. I write, I I draw, I take photos. I'm not like condemning it, but I'm just trying to understand what it is that we're doing when we do that, particularly in places where we have more access or more power, those kinds of things.
0: Almost like trying to establish parameters or, yeah. or boundaries of okay. Yeah. What okay, good,
1: good. Yeah, you know, like even if you're like I don't know, hanging out with friends at a party, like maybe maybe you don't always need to like have the photos of it or like yeah. a photo or like you know it doesn't have to be kind of this constant capturing. Sometimes I think when we capture things we lose sight of being in them, but um, but also yeah, like what is who has to give permission around, around that as well. And I mean, mean, we've all had people post photos of us online that were like, no, (laughs) myself immediately or or what have you. Right. Like, um, and, but obviously that changes tremendously too, when you're in a different cultural space and, um, trying to, yeah, trying to understand what that means for, for other people.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, you you've been mentioning that you traveled to Venuatu. So I saw saw a few interviews you had previously done. And I have to repeat this question from the other interviews. And that was, we must talk about the moment when you decided to write this novel, because mm. at the first you dismissed the original idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so about, yeah, about five years ago, maybe almost six years ago now, um, uh, my husband and I went to Oceania, we went to Vanuatu in Fiji, and um, we were on the, this small island called Tana on Vanuatu, um, which is, you know, pretty remote, and we were sitting at the, um Little in the bungalows that we were staying at, and you know, everybody always leaves behind their guidebooks and looking through like the old guidebooks, and uh, you know, staring at the ocean, and just came across like this tiny paragraph about um, these missionaries from Nova Scotia who had been killed on the island, and I was just like, wow, but again, like that Canadian, the Nova Scotia connection, the maritime connection, and um, I like was kind of like oh I wonder if there's an idea there and I kind of yeah. immediately was like I I don't know how to tell that that isn't kind of the same first contact story um that we've heard lots of times sort of the same kind of white visitor experience that yeah. that, that we we have kind of traditionally been taught um so I kind of put it away but I was so struck by vanuatu when we were there i had never been anywhere like vanuatu before um it was it it took up a lot of um sort of emotional real estate in my brain um even after we'd come back and so i kept reading what i could find about it and um about the history of the place and all of that and uh then came across this story from a different island Um, that had had a reconciliation ceremony between the descendants of some missionaries who had been killed on the island and the descendants of the um, people who had been on the island at the time. And read about that. And then I thought, oh, this, this, I could find a way to get into like this, this kind of contemporary story on top of this historical event. And um, this thing that is, connecting this historical event that makes the historical event still present and alive and also changeable in a way that we can like continue like learning and moving forward from it and so that interested me the idea of like what that look looks like in
0: the present day yeah and what I like is with Zach he's so straightforward you know I I I'm totally paraphrasing here, but there is the scene where they're they've they've just arrived, or it's just a couple of days after, and he's basically he's saying, "You know why we're here? It's because of you know this what we did to them, you know." Mm-hmm. And he's just so to the point, and it, it, I like Zach a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I've interviewed. You know, I've learned so much from these podcasts Mm. um, about the human spirit. I I learn how, you know, my eyes are opened to what's going on in the world. Um, I learn about digital country. Um, Now, I had interviewed DC Gomez, who was born in the Dominican Republic, And she writes fantasy novels, and she's, you know, USA Today bestselling. And I learned that in the beginning of her career, she believed her characters had to be white in order to have her manuscripts looked at. I then interviewed Natasha Dean, Guyanese-Canadian, and she told me that she didn't, growing up, she didn't feel that she was represented represented or that she even mattered because she didn't see kids like her on TV. Now, in your author's note, you have this discussion. It's a reflection of moving forward from past wrongs. And it is, like I say, this whole book is so impactful. Um, I think about the residential schools, the Japanese internment camps, you mention you write the me too movement black lives matter and land back and i feel sometimes that individuals don't go down that road of self reflection and i'm even talking about my fellow canadians and recognizing these atrocities for fear of the shame see and i'm yeah. i'm um, god this this always gets me You know, and it's like, we have to go there. We have to go there because I don't think we can go forward. So you asked two important questions. And that was, how do we make good? How do I make good? What do you hope the readers will gain after reading this novel?
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like such massive, massive things, right? Like these... Historical systemic wrongs, and you know, we started off talking about climate change and like how yeah. oh, that's an ongoing historical systemic wrong. And, yeah. and um, so often I think it can feel so much bigger than us, yeah. or it can feel like, or we want to feel like it has nothing to do with me because yes. like I wasn't there, it wasn't yeah. my family, or what have you. And instead of kind of trying to sit with, like, okay, but how do we continue to, um, profit or or be privileged from from those systems and those kinds of things and you know like the the shame of it is interesting to me because I think like that's a way to look at it and I think that's the way that that we often look at it or people want to talk about it and I guess what because I was writing about two families and thinking about you know, like my, what can I do? It it sort of feels like I'm not responsible for what happened, but I'm responsible for today and I'm responsible for going forward. And I think, um, we don't necessarily like shame doesn't do anybody any good Good. feeling bad doesn't like you know about what happened before is not moving things forward it's not having productive conversations it's not looking at changing legislations or reparations or any of those things and so I, I think if we can move past that idea of like of of shame or um and what I keep wanting to come back to is like that I I think there's real hope in the idea of changing things. Yeah. I think that the there's hope in the possibility of of a different kind of system that is more equitable, that is more and it's I'm not saying it'll be easy or yeah. anything like that, yeah. but but what I what I would love people to walk away from the book for is that like they're there is possibility yeah. of connection and building it's yes we need to tear down some structures and I think we've gotten really good at naming what's wrong but we don't know how to move forward and that's so what much. I'm particularly interested in. and I think that's true in personal relationships and political relationships yeah. it's like we've gotten really good at calling things out but now what I'm okay. really interested in the now what and there's a there's a thing I read about online and uh, I can never remember the person's name who I first came across, but um talking about hope punk and that the most punk thing you can be these days is hopeful. And um, we don't need more cynics and we don't need more um, skepticism. What we need <laughs> is, is hope and some plans to build things instead of continuing to undo things. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I what I've been thinking about in terms of that and like that's also like kind of high minded what that means in terms of like actually making good in your own life with your own communities with your own places like that's that's personal and I think finding ways to move through the world well and trying to, you know, be better on a on a daily basis and yeah, that doesn't make me feel shame for who I was, but it makes yeah. me want to be Make me better than who I was.
0: Better person. Yeah. That's yeah. such a, oh, that's such a wonderful answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Because <laughs> I, I yeah, that's right. It's, it's wrestling with, with the past and mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. You have to name it first,
1: but yeah. then what? Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm sitting uh, these days is, is then what now what? Okay. Like how do, we, what's an apology look like? What's, what's making good? Yeah. And, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I, say, I learned, I just, I, I like, I like hearing other points of view. I, oh, thank you. So what's next? What's next for you, Tanis? Yeah, I'm working on
1: something else. Um, I am desperately trying to finish a draft for the before the holidays. Um, I think, I think I might, I think I might make it. Um, it is, I would say it's very different than this, but I think it's still wrestling with those same kinds of questions. It is still about, um, uh, making good about, um, forgiveness. What does that look like? How do you earn it? Do you earn it? Like that on a much kind of smaller personal scale, but like it's, I think it's asking a lot of the same questions that the sea between two shores did, but in a very different context. And, um, you know, as we were just discussing, like, I think that's a lot of what I am, I'm still wrestling with and contemplating these days is, is yeah. Like how, how do we, how do we build better? How do yeah. we, um, uh, how do we make, uh, make things good and better and stronger instead of, Feeling so, it's so easy to feel shitty and overwhelmed these yeah. days. and yeah. I, I think the best way to not to feel that way is to make things and make good things. So, um, yeah, so I'm still wrestling with those questions. Um, yeah, I think it, as I said in a smaller way, but I feel like this book feels like a bit of a companion piece to awesome. Kind of awesome.
0: So, uh, I'm opening it to you. Anything you'd like to add?
1: No, I don't think so. I'm just like, it's so nice to have it out in the world and have people be reading things after you wrestle with them, yeah. you know, after you wrestle with them for yourself for so long that uh, when it finally is out there and people are thinking about it and talking about it and hopefully responding to it, yeah, uh, it
0: feels it's good. It feels really great. Awesome. Well, thank you for this opportunity and taking time. That's the big thing. Taking time out of your schedule to yeah, talk to me course. about this.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much.